Well, ever since I became a father for the first time 45 years ago and became a grandfather for the first time 15 years ago, I have loved the sound of babies laughing. Don't you love that sound? They just, they're so innocent and so exuberant to laugh over the silliest things. In fact, we put together a little video for you to, uh, to watch. <laughs> to get such joy out of somebody ripping paper, I mean, I just, I just love that. Well, you know, joy is, as we know, something, something good about joy, something great about laughter. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 17, 22, a cheerful heart is good medicine but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. We love laughter, we love joy. The humorous Pat Wilhoit said this, you can't laugh and be mad. You can't laugh and worry because stress, worry, and laughter are incompatible. Laughter is low calorie, caffeine free, no sodium, no preservatives or additives. It's 100% natural and one size fits all. You can get high on laughter, but never OD. Laughter never felt bad, committed a crime, started a war, or broke up a relationship. Laughter is shared by the giver and the receiver. Laughter costs nothing and is not taxable. At least not yet. At least not in Texas, it's not taxable. But all that's true, isn't it? And there's something about the Christian life and joy that is unique. In fact, that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what makes the joy of Christianity different than any other kind of joy or happiness that we experience. Certainly far different from what I experienced when I was an atheist and a reporter at the Chicago Tribune. I mean, back then, my entire goal in life was to keep myself happy at all costs. Happiness was my goal, and yet the more I pursued happiness, the more elusive it became. I mean, if I scooped the competition, in other words, if I got a big story on the front page that the competition newspaper didn't have, I'd be happy. If um, uh, I won an award or got a promotion, I'd be happy. If I got drunk, I'd be happy. I was a happy drunk. If my marriage was going well, I'd be happy. If it was sunny outside, I'd be happy. But then those things wouldn't last. And one day, somebody at the other newspaper would scoop me and I'd lose the award I wanted to get. I'd not get the promotion I wanted to get. I'd have a hangover from getting drunk. My marriage would kind of get on the rocks, and outside it would be very Chicago-y weather, drizzly, cold, blustery, and my happiness would disappear. Why? Because unlike joy, happiness is dependent on happenings. Happiness is dependent on happenings. In other words, happiness is dependent on our circumstances. When things are going great, when everything works great, when everything in the family's great, we're feeling good, we're happy. But when they're not great, we lose that happiness. But joy is different. Even though our mood admittedly is affected by our environment, the fundamental joy of the Christian life is independent of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. The joy of the Christian life is not something we have to pursue or strive to achieve. It's a byproduct, a natural byproduct of having a deep and a rich and a, a real and a personal relationship with the God of the universe. The Bible says in Galatians 5, uh, verses 22 and 23, that as we open our lives more and more to God, over time, the Holy Spirit will manifest in our lives nine qualities, love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The nine perfect things that we need in our lives. But what's the second thing mentioned? Right after love, it's joy. It's joy. I encourage you, maybe memorize those nine qualities that, uh, that, the, that the Holy Spirit will manifest in you as you open your life more and more to God. Now, that doesn't mean that Christians uh, are ecstatic all the time. doesn't mean that we're immune from depression or bad moods. But it does mean that a fundamental sense of joy over time should increasingly manifest itself in our life. Why? Because the source of that joy is God himself. By implication, that means that joy is not optional in the Christian life. In other words, if it's chronically missing from your life, or if you're a follower of Jesus and over time, even in little incremental ways, it's not increasing, something's wrong. The great evangelist Billy Sunday put it this way, if you have no joy, then there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. And for some people, it's not a leak. I mean, it's gushing. I've been to churches that are like morgues. And this somberness, this joylessness, repels people from God. Sheldon Van Auken, who was an agnostic who did later become a Christian, said, the best argument for Christianity is Christians. And the first thing he mentions is their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But, he said, the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. He said, when they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. In other words, we chase people away from the church when we're somber and joyless in our life as Christians. Makes people say, why would I want to sign up for that? I mean, the overall orientation of the Christian life over time should be to increase our joy. In fact, the word joy is mentioned almost 250 times in Scripture. So let me talk today about three ways in which God uniquely manifests joy in the life of Christians. And then I want to talk about two ways that joy can be hindered in our life, obstacles that might be in our way of feeling that kind of joy that the Bible talks about over and over. So let's start. Just imagine to yourself in your own life, like a gas gauge on your car, but a gauge that measures your, your level of joy. As you sit here today, where would that gauge register in your life? Would you be full of joy? Would it be ecstatic and happy? Or would it be on the other side where your tank is almost empty? and you're feeling joyless, and you're feeling somber. Where, where would that joy gauge register in your life? Keep that in mind as we move on. So what is the source of this joy in Christianity? First, there's the joy of grace. The joy of grace. This is the liberation, the celebration, the wonder, the euphoria, and the gratitude that comes when we receive this grace of God, this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. So why, why should this gift of God's grace, why should it manifest such joy in us? Well, let me give you an illustration. Let's say you're going to take the family on a getaway to the hill country. So you're driving up there, but you're really anxious to get there, and so you're speeding. You're, making, you're going like 25 miles an hour over the limit. And all of a sudden, oh, you hear the, the siren going, you get pulled over to the side. Now, freeze that scene. What do you deserve at that moment, what do you deserve? You are speeding, so you deserve justice, right? 
Justice would be the police officer coming up and saying, look, you're going 25 over the limit, I'm writing you a ticket, and you're going to have to pay a hefty fine. That's only fair. That's justice. It's what we deserve. But what if that police officer showed you mercy? What if instead he said, look, I know you were speeding, you know you were speeding, but you know what? I'm going to let you go anyway. And that would be mercy. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. You deserve justice, but you get mercy instead. I was speeding on the 242 a couple of months ago, and I got pulled over. And the officer showed me mercy. He said, you know what? I'm not going to write you a ticket. You got a clean record. I'm not going to mess it up with this. Um, That was mercy. Mercy is a good thing. Mercy is nice. It's wonderful. But you know what? It's not grace. It's not grace. What is grace? Grace would be as if the police officer said to you, not only am I not going to write you a ticket, not only am I not going to give you the justice you deserve, not only am I going to let you go, but you happen to be the one millionth driver pulled over this year by the Texas State Police, and so I'm going to award you this check for $10 million. Congratulations. See you later. And he takes off, and you drive off. How would you feel at that moment if he showed you and gave you that check for $10 million? Justice is giving you what you deserve. Mercy isn't giving you what you deserve, but grace is giving you what you don't deserve. You don't deserve that check for $10 million. How would you feel? You'd feel euphoric, right? You'd feel happy. You'd feel joyful as you receive that check. Well, think about God and us. What we deserve from God is his justice. We've all violated the laws of God. There's no mystery about that. We've all done things we knew they were wrong before we did them, and we did them anyway. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We violated the laws of God, and as a result, we deserve his justice. What would be justice? It would be God separating himself from us for all of eternity. That is what hell is. Separation from God and any influence of God for all of eternity. That's what we deserve. But God could show us mercy. What would mercy be? Mercy would be uh, maybe, you know, it would be not giving us what we deserve. So instead of justice, maybe he would kind of lock the door to hell. That would be mercy. But God goes far beyond that with his grace. He says, not only am I going to forgive your sins, not only am I going to take what my son Jesus did in the cross in paying for your sins and apply it to your life, but I'm going to open the door to eternity for you so that you can spend forever with me in a blissful, wonderful, joyful, adventurous experience called heaven. That's the grace of God. What's that worth? Is that worth more than $10 million? You better believe it is. So we ought to be a lot more happy about receiving that kind of gift than we are about getting that $10 million from the police officer. I like the way that the Living Bible paraphrases the words of the prophet Isaiah. He put it this way. Oh, the joy of drinking deeply from the fountain of salvation. The joy that comes when we drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. Of salvation. Now, the problem is that joy, that kind of joy, can fade over time. I mean, November 8th of this year will mark 40 years since I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe you've been a Christian longer, maybe shorter, but 
Have you noticed that over time, that joy from God's grace kind of dissipates a bit? That initial euphoria you felt when you put your trust in Christ and received his gift of forgiveness and eternal life, that euphoria kind of dims over time. Doesn't it? It does for me sometimes. One day I was flying to Los Angeles. And uh, frankly, I was, I, was, <laughs> I was one of those joyless and somber Christians at the time. I mean, no kidding. I have the worst travel experiences of anybody. I have people who refuse to travel with me because I just, I constantly have horrible travel experiences. I mean, delays, cancellations, that's nothing. I've had engines blow up on takeoff. I've had engines start on fire as we're at the gate about to pull, pull away. I've had hail knock our plane out of commission on the runway. Um, I've had smoke fill the cockpit of the plane. I've had emergency landings more than once. I mean, I've spent so many nights sleeping on the floors of airports, I can't tell you. So I've been through it all. So travel is no fun to me. And so I'm, I'm flying to Los Angeles. We're at about, I don't know, 38,000 feet. And I'm feeling sapped of joy. And so I, I looked out the window and I said, God, I don't want to be this way. I mean, where's the joy I had? Why, why don't I feel that joy right now? And as I looked out the window, I saw some clouds below, beautiful, fluffy clouds. And I said, God, you have the power to take those clouds and write my name in the sky. Just as a way of reminding me that I'm your son. And I thought, well, that's stupid. That's silly. That's not going to happen. And then I, I turned my attention inside, and I had a book in my lap, and I opened the book at random. It's a book by a guy named Phil Calloway, a Canadian. And I opened the book at random, turned out to be page 150, and boom, there's my name written in the book. And I looked up and said, God, you're good. I mean, it's a, here's my name in this book. And so I started to read it, and it was all about finding joy in the Christian life. He wrote, one of the sources of joy in the Christian life is that the grace of God is deeper than any sin we've committed. And then he goes on, he tells a story, my story of going from atheism to Christianity. And he quotes me as saying, I'm so bowled over by the fact that God would forgive someone who led such a disgusting and immoral life for so many years. There's a daily sense of wonder that God not only adopted me as his son, but he's given me a ministry reaching out to people like I once was, it overwhelms me. And I closed that book and I said, thank you, God, for reminding me why I can have joy in my life. It's that I'm your son. You've adopted me as your son forever. I have relationship with you. You're my very best friend. I can talk to you about anything in the world. You've been faithful to me. I get to worship you. I get to tell other people about you. It just doesn't get any better than this. And that brought me back to the grace of God. You know, sometimes we just need to be reminded. Sometimes we just need to remember that euphoria we felt at that moment that we put our trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit came into our lives. Do you remember that moment? Have you experienced that moment? When you feel joyless, when you feel somber, think about that. Bring that back to mind and see if God doesn't use that to regenerate the joy in your life. Friends, God's grace is unique to Christianity. There is no other religion on planet Earth that is based on the grace of God. And that's why the joy of grace 
can only be found in Jesus Christ. The second category of grace, of joy that Christians experience is a little different from that. It's called a confident joy, a confident joy. A writer by the name of Jules Renard said this. He said, there are moments in life when everything goes well. He said, don't be frightened, it won't last. (laughs) That's true, isn't it? I mean, for Christians or or non-Christians, things go great for a while and then they tend to fall apart. We get a bad medical diagnosis, we struggle at work, and in the midst of that, even in the midst of our struggles that we experience, God can still bring us a unique kind of joy. I call it confident joy. This is not put on a phony Christian happy face and pretend like everything's great when we know it's not. It's not that we're going to deny reality and pretend like everything's great. We acknowledge that things are difficult, but that we can find joy even in the midst of it. It's not like that sign in the grocery store bulletin board that said, lost, dog with three legs, blind in left eye, missing right ear, tail broken, and recently castrated. Answers to the name Lucky. I don't care how much you call that dog lucky. That is not a lucky dog. You can't make it lucky just by calling him lucky. And Christians don't just call themselves joyful and deny the reality of their circumstances. They can find confident joy. How? Well, several years ago, um, I went to the intensive care unit of a hospital to visit a friend of mine by the name of Tom. Tom spent most of his life spiritually confused. And then he was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And his sister gave him a copy of one of my books that talks about the evidence for Christianity and the truth of Jesus being the Son of God. And and, and God used it in his life to bring him to faith. And he wrote me a very nice letter, and and we became friends and and buddies and would hang out together. And uh, so he gave his life to Christ, and he began to read the Bible and grow and learn and worship and pray. And now here he was in the final stages of stomach cancer. And I I walked into his room, and he was on a ventilator, and his eyes were shut. And I I went over to him, and I I just took his hand, and I kind of stroked it. And I said, Tom, let's pray. And so I began to pray. I began to pray about the faithfulness of God, and the love of God, and the grace of God, and the fact that there is heaven awaiting all of us who follow Jesus Christ. And I'm praying along those lines, and, and all of a sudden, you know, they had that heart monitor going, beep, 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 beep. It started to speed up, beep, 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 beep. It started to speed up. And Tom turned his head toward me and opened his eyes. And I wish I had a camera to capture the look in his eyes, because that was the look of confident joy. That was the look of confident joy. I wish I was able to preserve that and show it to you. This is a man about to leave this world for heaven. And the look in his eye is a confident joy. It's a look that said, God has not abandoned me. He's not left me. He is faithful to me. He is consoling me. He's undergirding me. He is here with me. And when I close my eyes, finally, for the last time in this world, I will open them in the glorious presence of God forever. I mean, Christians have been talking about this confident joy for centuries. Like the Apostle Paul who went through all kinds. You think I had bad travel experiences. Apostle Paul, my goodness, he had horrible travel experiences. He was shipwrecked three times. That's worse than being delayed at at Bush. Um, He was beaten within an inch of his life five different times. He was pelted with rocks. He was left 
um, without food. He was imprisoned multiple times. But what does he say to his followers? What's his message to his, uh, the followers of Jesus who he has gotten to know? What's his message to them? He says, in effect, hey, guys, hey, gals, always be joyful. Keep on praying no matter what happens. Always be grateful for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Why, why would he say, say that? Isn't it counterintuitive to be joyful in the midst of suffering like that? Well, let me give you four reasons from the Bible why we can have confident joy even in the midst of our struggles. First, we can have confident joy because we know that the God of the universe is going to lovingly comfort us in the midst of our struggle. Psalm 94, 19 says, When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Anxiety was great, but I got joy from God. Second, we can have confident joy because even if we lose everything in our life, if we lose our health, if we lose our resources, if we lose our life, we know that nothing can take away that which is most precious, that which is most important to us, which is our relationship with the God of the universe. You know, in the first century, when the Romans were persecuting Christians, one of the things they would do is they would come to your house and take everything. They would just seize all of your possessions, just take them away. And yet the writer of Hebrews says this to Christians. He says, you suffered along with those who were thrown in jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. How's that possible? Well, he explains in the next sentence. He says, you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Third, we can have confident joy because we know that God can and will use our struggles for good in our lives. He can use it to mold our character. He can use it to bolster our strength. There's, I, I think of so many ways. I remember 10 years ago, I was on the verge of death. I'm in the ICU. Doctor says you're one step away from a coma, two steps away from dying. I was hanging on the edge of life for several days. And I said, how can God use this for good? And he has in a thousand ways. I, I look back. We don't think it's possible, and yet it is. If God can take the worst thing that's ever happened in the universe, which is the death of the Son of God on a cross, and turn it into the best thing that's ever happened in the universe, which is the opening of heaven to all who follow him, then he can take whatever struggles we go through and draw good from them. James 1, verses 2 through 4 say, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And when I'm struggling, I try to remember, God can take the worst thing in the universe, turn it into the best thing. He can take my struggles and draw good from them. Fourth, we can have confident joy because heaven puts everything into perspective. Heaven puts everything into perspective. 2 Corinthians 4 says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our inner strength in the Lord is growing every day. These troubles and sufferings of ours are, after all, quite small and won't last very long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever and ever. So we do not look at what we can see right now, the troubles all around us, but we look forward to the joys in heaven which we have not yet seen. 
The troubles will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. Friends, that was the passage I was praying with my friend Tom when he opened his eyes with that look of confident joy. Reminded me of the sign in the bullet, on the bulletin board at the Mayo Clinic that says, cancer is limited. It cannot cripple love. It cannot shatter hope. It cannot corrode faith. It cannot eat away peace. It cannot destroy confidence. It cannot kill friendship. It cannot shut out memories. It cannot silence courage. It cannot invade the soul. It cannot reduce eternal life. It cannot quench the Spirit of God. So Christians have a joy that's fueled by grace, and they have a confident joy as well. The third category of joy is shared joy. Shared joy. You see, relation, uh, Christianity is a relational faith. Um, and any relationship that we have, no matter what it is, is always the depth of that relationship is always determined by what you hold in common with that other person. So let's say you and a buddy like to play golf together. That's all you really have in common. You love to hit the links. That's great. Terrific. Probably not going to go very deep in your relationship if golf is the commonality. But when the commonality in your relationship is Jesus Christ, then the potential for great depth in your relationship is there. You can have a relationship with a vulnerability and a trust level and a love unlike anything you've ever experienced. The Bible talks about this kind of relationship being even deeper than flesh and blood. Proverbs 18.24 says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17.17 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And that's true. These relationships I've discovered over years now as a follower of Jesus for 40 years, my relationships with other followers of Jesus, there's no one-upsmanship, there's no competition, there's no jealousy, there's mutual encouragement and mutual joy in the midst of it. Paul talked about this when he talked about the church being like the body of Christ. He said in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. In other words, when my friends suffer, I suffer with them. But he says, if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We share the joy with each other as well. Several years ago, I was driving through the Rocky Mountains, and I got a phone call with some terrific news. What's the first thing I did? I got on the phone, and I called my family. I said, I got great news. What's the second thing I did? I called my Christian friend, Mark. Mark is my best buddy. He, he, and, he and I have hearts that beat in unison for Jesus Christ. And we have a relationship so deep I remember when I was in the hospital on the edge of death. You know what he did? He, I didn't ask him to do this. Leslie didn't ask him to do this. He brought over a whole bunch of folks from the church, and they went in the basement of our house and formed a circle and held hands and prayed all night for me when I was in the hospital. Because I was struggling. They were struggling. But when I felt joy, when I've got good news, I want to share with Mark because I know he'll rejoice with me as well. I mean, this kind of relationship. I just, I just wish every follower of Jesus would intentionally pursue these kind of relationships in your life. So there are lots of other sources of joy in the Christian life. Let me, though, mention a couple of obstacles to experiencing that joy. Uh, the first obstacle is this. It's worry. 
it's worry. The first thing that chases away joy is worry. Now, we could talk for hours about why Christians worry, because guess what? We do. We do. But I want to get down to the nub. Some people, here's what happens. They hear about the grace of God, and it sounds so wonderful, so incredible, this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. They pray, they receive Jesus as their forgiver and their leader, but they stop there. They never, I use a cliche, they never invite Jesus to sit in the driver's seat of their life. They don't cultivate those practices of prayer and, 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 and other uh, worship and other uh, you know, Bible reading, these, these disciplines of discipleship to help them grow in their faith. They're kind of stuck in their, where they're at. And so maybe something else is in the driver's seat of their life. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's money. Maybe, maybe it's success. You know, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with money. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with success. Those aren't bad things. But I'm saying when they're in the driver's seat of your life, when they're at the center of your life, you're going to invite worry. Why? Because if money is really at the center of your life, you're always going to be saying, do I have enough? Is my 401k doing well enough? How's the stock market doing? What about this inflation deal? Is it going to get worse? What do I do? Do I sell? Do I buy? Is Social Security going to be there when I retire? I mean, we tend to worry if money is at the center of our life. Or if success is at the center of your life, you worry because maybe the guy across the hall is going to get the promotion that you want. Or maybe the pandemic is going to destroy your business. You're not going to get a bonus this year. Um, What if somebody undercuts you at work and takes credit for something you did? If success is in the driver's seat of your life, you're going to worry. But if Jesus is at the center of your life, it's a whole different picture. Why? Because you know he's not going to abandon you. He's not going to be unfaithful to you. He's not going to stop loving you. And when he's at the center of your life, the most important things have already been taken care of. You know God personally. He's your very best friend. He's going to open heaven for you when you leave this world. What should we be concerned about? So there's a confidence that comes when Jesus is in that center position in your life. Let me give you a quote from Oswald Chambers, great Christian writer. He said, the remarkable thing about fearing God, now keep in mind, when he says fearing God, he's not talking about being afraid of God. He's talking about having reverence for God. That's what he means there. Fearing God is to have reverence for God. He said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Isn't that true? If God is not at the center of your life, you will never experience the full joy of the Christian life. You're always going to fret. You're always going to worry. You're always going to have anxiety. But when you put God there, I mean, it it changes everything. Psalm 62.10 comes right out and says it. It says, "If, if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. It just warns us right up front. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, Christ's love controls us now. Since we believe that Christ died for all of us, we should also believe that we have died to the old life we used to live. He died for all so that all who live, having received eternal life from him, might live no longer for themselves, to please themselves, but to spend their lives pleasing Christ who died and rose again for them. So let me ask you, if if you're a Christian and if worry is chasing away joy in your life, might it be because Jesus is not firmly at the center of your being? 
Second reason many Christians don't experience joy is they're living outside the will of God. They're involved in a pattern of sin in their life. They're having sex outside of marriage. They're involved with some shady things at work. They're um, addicted to pornography. And what does that do? It brings guilt into your life that chases away your joy. Do you know why? Because when you're involved in a pattern of sin in your life, we shrink away from God. We don't pray as much. We don't worship as much. Why? Because we're just reminded. We're just convicted of this pattern of sin in our life when we do. See, if God is the true source of our joy, then cutting ourselves off from that source, what's going to happen? We're going to be joyless. The opposite, though, is to think of the commands of God not as being restrictive, but as being the best way to live, as being beneficial for us, the way that we ought to want to orient our lives around the teachings of Jesus. This is the way King David saw things in Psalm 119. He said, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. And because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. May we hate every wrong path. I mean, when we're in that mindset that this is the best way to live, to follow the teachings of the Bible, then that's when joy begins to manifest itself more and more in our life because we're no longer cut off from that God who's bringing conviction to us because of things we're doing. And not only can we lose our joy by doing things that we know we ought not to do, but we can also lose our joy by not doing things that God wants us to do. In other words, God may be tapping you on the shoulder with an assignment, something he wants you to do in your life that will bring you great joy and great adventure, but maybe, maybe you've been reluctant to step out in faith. It's like the story that John Newton tells. John Newton's the guy who wrote the song Amazing Grace. And he says, imagine two angels in heaven and imagine that God had two assignments to give out. He was going to give one assignment to each angel. One assignment was to go to the dirtiest, filthiest, most crime-ridden city on the planet and clean the sewers and sweep the dirty alleys. That's one assignment. The other assignment is to live in a fabulous palace and to rule in splendor over the richest nation in the world. And Newton made this point. To those two angels... It would be completely irrelevant which one got which assignment. They wouldn't care. Why? Because the joy does not come from the tasks that we do for God. The joy comes in knowing we're doing the tasks that God wants us to do. That's where the joy comes from. If God says, Lee, I want you to move and go to India and sweep the dirty streets, sign me up. Give me a ticket. I'm headed out. You know, I... All my life, since I was a little kid, my dad would bring home the Chicago Daily News and the, newspaper, and the train every night. I wanted to be a journalist. I was, in fact, when I was 12 years old, I started a neighborhood newspaper that I printed in a printing press in my basement. Came out every week, 
Um, I, had sub- I had 200 subscribers. I had advertisers. I was running this. It was actually on the NBC Nightly News about this 12-year-old kid that's got a neighborhood newspaper because I love journalism. When I was 14, I sold my first article to a magazine. When I was 16, I started to move away from home every summer to live in a boarding house to be a reporter full-time for a little rural daily newspaper in Illinois. I went to a great journalism school. I went to a great law school. I became legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. I had printer's ink in my blood. I loved being on the front row to history. I loved journalism. But then I became a Christian. And not too long after that, God began to tap me on the shoulder. He said, Lee, I got something different for you. I want you to walk away from all that training, all that experience, I want you to walk away from that. And I want you to join the staff of a church. And oh, by the way, it's going to be a 60% pay cut. And I want you to join the staff of a church. And I want you to tell other people about me. And at first, I was reluctant to do it. I mean, this was my whole life. This is all I knew. But God kept tapping. I said, you know what? There is no joy in saying no to God. The best joy we experience as Christians is when we're at the epicenter of what he wants for our life. And so I said yes. And I remember several months after I joined this church, the pastor came up to me one day and he said, you know, Lee, we were kind of shocked when uh, we told you what paltry salary we were going to give you, and it was like 60% pay cut from what you were making. We were kind of surprised you said yes so quickly. And I looked at him, and in all seriousness, I said, I would have done it for nothing. And I would have. I would have found a way to support my family. I would have done it for nothing. Why? Because God was calling me to do it. I didn't want to get to the end of my life and realize I said no to God. I missed all the adventure that he had in store for me. And sure enough, the joy of following Christ, the adventures he has had me on ever since then, just make journalism just shrink to nothing. This has been the most joyful, the most exciting experience in my life. I remember... A pastor asked me once, he said, Lee, what are you going to be doing five years from now? And I said, I know exactly what I'm going to do five years from now. And he was kind of surprised. He said, you, you know exactly what you're going to do? Five? I said, yeah, I do. He said, what? What are you going to be doing five years from now? I said, I am going to be doing precisely what God wants me to do. I know what I'm going to be doing five years from now. Doesn't matter what it is. I just have to make sure it's what God wants me to do. So is God tapping you on the shoulder today? I mean, maybe there's someone in your life that he's nudging you to reach out to, to encourage, to help financially, or someone who's hurting in your life, and you need to reach out to them. You need to, to comfort them. You need to bring the, the message of, of Jesus to them. Or maybe there's a ministry at the church, a children's ministry or a student ministry that he's, he's encouraging you to get involved in. Maybe he's tapping you on the shoulder. Or maybe... He's been encouraging you to join a small group where you can have one of these deep and rich relationships with other followers of Jesus. Or maybe it's to go on a missions trip. Or maybe it's to go through the membership class at the church. Or maybe it's to give sacrificially to God's work. Or maybe it's to commit to a more consistent prayer life or to memorizing parts of Scripture. I don't know what it is, but if God is tapping you on the shoulder, can I give you some advice? Don't ignore him. Don't ignore him. There's no joy in that. The adventure comes in saying yes. That's the road to fulfillment. The epicenter of joy is being smack in the center of God's will for your life. That's the epicenter 
of joy, regardless of what it is. And so I hope that you'll say yes to whatever it is God's prompting you to do, to step out in faith, and to know that God will give you a mission in life that really matters, and he will give you the divine enablement to pull it off. That, friends, is where joy resides. The path to joy is a choice. Say yes to God or to say no. The path is to say yes, to to, to make that choice for God. Listen to what the Bible says in the Old Testament. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, even so, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. What's he saying? He's saying even in the midst of these struggles, I'm making a choice to choose God's way, to choose joy, to say yes to God. What's he want you to say yes to today? Because I'll end by saying this. If you want happiness, you will never find it. I'm sorry, you won't. But if you want joy, God's saying it's available to you. Follow me. Put me at the center of your life. Trust me. And I will bring you fulfillment and joy and satisfaction like nothing you've ever experienced. So let me pray, and let me pray for different groups that are here today. Um, So let's bow our heads and let's pray. And I want to pray first for those who feel like your joy gauge is low or on empty. If that's you, then I want to pray right now and say, Father, for those who are feeling bereft of joy at this moment, I pray by your Holy Spirit, you would would unleash in them a sense of wonder and euphoria and joy over the fact that you are God, that you have adopted them, that you're going to spend eternity with them. Father, I pray you would remind them of what they each need to be reminded of to bring back that joy in their life. And then second, for those of you who feel like there's a pattern of sin in my life and it's an obstacle to me and God and to the joy I need to experience. For you, let me pray this. Father, you know, you know the secrets of every person here. And I pray by your Holy Spirit, you would not only convict them of their sin, but you would give them the courage to follow through, to abandon that road, to walk your road, to follow your ways. If that means seeing a Christian counselor or getting some therapy or whatever it takes to get beyond whatever it is that enslaves them, I pray they would take that step, to call a pastor here at the church, whatever it takes. Help them get beyond it so they can find joy in their relationship with you. And for those of you who are feeling that tap of Jesus on your shoulder with an assignment or the next step in your faith life, I pray this. I say, Father, don't let let them rest. Don't let them rest until they see the truth, that joy comes from saying yes to you, that there is a road of fulfillment and satisfaction that they will never experience if they say no. So I pray by your spirit, you would be clear 
with what you want them to do, the next step you want them to take in their faith journey. Help other Christians to uh, give them wisdom on what that step is. And I pray that they would say yes to whatever assignment you have awaiting them, a mission in life that really matters. And finally, for those that say, you know, I don't have this joy of grace because I've never received this gift of grace. I've never received Jesus as my forgiver and leader. I've never become a child of God. For you, I say, in your heart at this moment, God will hear you. Just say these words. Just say in your heart, Father, I admit the obvious, which is that I am a sinner. And I deserve your justice. But I know you're a gracious God. And so right now, in repentance and faith, I receive your free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you for loving me so much. You sent your son to die to pay the penalty I deserve so that I don't have to. Help me to live the joyful Christian life starting right now. Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our forgiver, our leader, our best friend. Thank you for this church and our freedom in this land to come and to talk about what's really important. We pray for your blessing on each person here. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.